Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. Yeah, the best parts of me come from my mom. My, my dad was the B team for sure, so I'm just kidding. I love you, dad. And I love you, Mom. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers. Uh, when I was, uh, when Hannah and I were both becoming parents, uh, our first child, we were um, in the, the hospital. We're about ready to, she's about ready to arrive, uh, Adeline. And uh, there came to be this point where um, my wife, uh, it was that time where she had to get the epidural. And if you don't know what an epidural is, it's a sword uh, <laughs> that they stab you in the back with, and it makes you feel great. I don't understand it, but miracle of modern medicine. So... Uh, the nurse pulls me aside, and she's like, look, why don't you hold one hand? I'll hold one hand. She's going to need some real uh, moral support and some encouragement during this because it's painful. Um, but here's the thing. Just don't look at the needle. So I absolutely checked that thing out as fast as possible. Um, and I regretted it as soon as I saw it. I was like, I shouldn't have seen that. <laughs> Wish somebody would have told me uh, not to look at that. And uh, so anyway, I'm holding the Hannah's you know, right hand and the nurse on her left hand, and we're cheering for her. We're we're really like, I'm really supporting her. I'm really giving it my best. Uh, but I had to look at that needle again because I just wanted to see it in action. <laughs> Another bad decision that, that day. So I checked that thing out, and that's when the darkness started closing in, like right there. <laughs> like that's when it got dark on the edges and started to come in. And the nurse, they, they're trained for this. They noticed it. They looked, she looked right at me, and she goes, are you okay? And I was like belligerent. I was like, I'm fine. I am fine. Are you okay? Are you all right? And in my head, I'm like, I'm not okay. If she asks me again, I'm gonna tell her the truth. And sure enough, she did. She's like, no, really, are you okay? I'm like, nope, I'm going down. I started like tip over. <laughs> and she like grabbed me, code blue, nurses come in, orange juice was involved. And let me tell you something, I got no moral support from Hannah <laughs> at all, at all during that time. In my our darkest hour of greatest need, I think she might've yelled, just let him die. Like I think, <laughs> So much for leave no ranger behind. But it's not Father's Day, so we won't celebrate my, my heroicness today. Now, Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day. I tell you, going through that, like going, seeing just the, the whole process, uh, I'm convinced that if the shoe was on the other foot, if God was like, okay, guys, it's going to be up to you to do this, all the bros would have been standing around and watched the first guy do it. And we would have been like, nope, never again. That's the last human. Congratulations. You are the last human that will ever be on this earth. Yeah. It would never happen again. We would have made it one generation. That's it. We have a sermon to deal with today. So, but no, happy Mother's Day. So we are, we're in this series. You didn't see the video. We showed a different video today uh, for that. But the video that we would normally show would kind of tee up our series. It's called What's Next? It's all the instances where Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, after Easter Sunday. Jesus actually showed up more often. He showed up again more times. In fact, uh, the scripture says he showed up many times. But there was only a few that we were recorded in each of these Gospels because the Gospel writers wanted to record the ones that really, there was a purpose, there's a meaning, there's something Jesus is going to teach us in, this particular, uh, in these particular appearances. And the one we're going to look at today really answers this question. This is a question it deals with. Where is Jesus today? Like, where is his activity? What is he concerned about? 
What is he up to? What is he doing? Where is Jesus today? That's really the question that this passage is gonna address in a profound way. It's actually the last four verses in the entire gospel account, the entire book of Matthew. And it starts off in a really fascinating way. This is, the more I've studied this text and the text that we've been working through over the last month, I'm just more convinced this is so trustworthy. I mean, I've always, I believed this text, but it is written like an eyewitness account. I mean, this is not just spin. And, and this is one of those verses that reminded me of that today. This is the first uh, verse, couple of verses we'll read, chapter 28 of Matthew, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, so these are his 11 disciples. You remember there was 12, Judas betrayed Jesus, took his own life. He's not around. So you have 11 disciples. This is the inner circle. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. This is just amazing to me. You know, if you were, I've said this a number of times in the last couple of weeks, if you were an ancient uh, writer or you were trying to propagate some tall tale of this, this Messiah who rose from the dead, who is truly God, and you were going to try and get your propaganda out there and, and, and create this spin and this narrative, there is no way you would include that Jesus's own inner circle questioned it. Like, ah, they were still on the fence. Some of them are seeing him, they're worshiping him. The other ones are like, we're still on the fence. We're, we're, we're not sure we're buying it. You would not include that unless it were true. If you were gonna edit this text over centuries and again, keep, the, keep that prairie fire of Christianity rolling down, going and that fake news being spread, you would say, well, let's edit this thing, right? You would take that out. These are his inner circle. These aren't just random people. Like everyone else is like, I'm skeptical. And then Matthew comes along and goes, yeah, so were some of his closest friends. Like that is such an indictment <laughs> unless it's actually an eyewitness account. And it's true. And here's what's also fascinating. How many times have you said this to God where you'll say, God, if I could just see a miracle, you know, if I could just, if you could just appear in front of me, Jesus, if you could send one of your envoys, an angel, and just, I could just see him and they could tell me, I would believe. And that's exactly what these guys have. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. You are still going to have to take a leap of faith to ascend to the belief that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is God, that he's real. You're still gonna have to do it. And I've, I've shared this example before, I think even a couple weeks ago. If an angel appeared to you tonight at the foot of your bed and they said, hey, listen, it's all real, it's all true, Jesus, and then just disappeared, you'd wake up the next morning and you'd have three options, right? The first one is it was real. It was a real angel from heaven telling me it's all true. Second option would be maybe it was one of the bad guys, the enemy trying to throw me off the trail. Third option is it was some, something in those brownies last night, or there was just a, a dream I had, a figment of my imagination, right? Those are your three options. Two out of three odds, it's almost 70% odds that it didn't actually happen. And you know what your rational brain would do with that. Say, well, probably not. But this text, man, you can stand on it. This is 2,000 years of godly people staking their life on it. And here's what's crazy. This whole thing called Christianity, that, that every time you write the year or the date down, 
You mark time by what happened 2,000 years ago with Christianity. None of that happens unless something happened. Let me just say it again. That doesn't happen unless something happened. Miraculous. Because for 300 years, 300 generations of Christians went by. They had no military to like bully people into their beliefs. They had no backing of a nation or some big civilization or, or, or some ins civic institution supporting them. They were the persecuted. These people were dying gruesomely underneath emperors. Uh, Roman emperors would put Christians into coliseums. They'd, they'd be killed. They'd be crucified. They'd be burned at the stake. You don't go to that end for something that you know was a lie. Like if you were on the inside, if you were a part of the colluding cabal that said, hey, look, this whole Messiah thing didn't actually happen. None of, we know it didn't happen. We were there. It didn't happen. But we're going to spread this little tall tale and we're going to start this little thing called Christianity. And you know it's a lie. Guess what you don't do? You don't take that to the cross with you. You don't. For 300 years of people doing that, unless it's true, unless it really did happen. A bunch of uneducated fishermen start something that we mark time by? Nah, this is the miracle you're looking at. This is the most supernatural encounter you're gonna have is opening this book up every morning and reading it. You don't need an, you don't need an appearance of an angel or anything like that. It didn't work for these guys. Or at least they still struggle with doubt. It still dealt, they still had skepticism. And here's what's fascinating. Whatever culture that the disciples had that made it safe for people to doubt, man, I want that in this church. I want that in our church. I want to be a church where it's like, it's safe to be skeptical. Everybody's worshiping Jesus, but there's a few that doubt. And, and they don't doubt. Here's what they don't doubt. They don't doubt they belong. They belong among those Believers, They belonged among those brothers. I'd, I'd hope we have a church that mimics the culture of the disciples of this time where even though Jesus is there, they're all, being, they're all worshiping Jesus, there were people there that didn't question whether or not they belonged with those people even before they fully believed. So it goes on though. Jesus shows up. He actually appears and then he says some stuff. This is it. Then, the, then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's the first thing we learned about Jesus and where he's at, what he's up to today. He's in charge. He's, he's got authority. He has a say. And this is what is uh, so profound about this, is he loves you. He's not just some acquaintance out there. He's not just some distant uh, president or CEO. He loves you. He died for you. You're expensive to be with Jesus. Do you realize that? To be in a relationship with Jesus, it cost him. It cost him his life. Do you think he would waste your life? I mean, for as... As nervous as you get about wondering if you're gonna waste this year, if you're gonna waste this week, if, if, if you're gonna waste your life, multiply that by a million, you're not even as close to how urgent Jesus is about not wasting your life. He died for it. He loves you. And here's what's crazy, he's in charge, he has a say. Here's what this means. Nothing is happening to you currently 
Nothing is happening to you currently or tomorrow or next weekend that doesn't go underneath the yes or the no of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing is happening to you. Nothing's going on right now. Nothing's going to happen tomorrow that doesn't have to go underneath the authority, the kingship, the lordship, the yes or the no of Jesus Christ. He's king. He's authority. And that's why what I'm about to say is true. And this is, there's a lot of places I can go with that. There's a lot of things I could bring up about this. But this is where I want to go today. And, and I know this because Mother's Day can be a hard day. It can be a painful day for a lot of people for all different reasons. So this is why I need to hear this today. Listen, there is a special grace. There is a special healing balm on the human heart and on the soul when you choose to bless Jesus's name and worship God in the midst of suffering. There is a special grace, and let me tell you why. Because in the same way it feels good to bless God's name when things are good, there is a special healing balm that comes when you choose to praise God, thank God, be grateful toward God and worship God in the middle of suffering. Why? Because he's still king. He's still God and he's still good. And when you do that, you move with the grain of the universe. When you shake your fist at God and you resent him in the middle of suffering, all you do is go against the grain of the universe, the fabric of the universe, and you get splinters. You get splinters. It doesn't, it just doesn't heal and restore at the soul level that praising and worshiping God does in all seasons, especially the ones that are hard, because what's true is he's still in authority. He's not, he's not up there shocked, surprised, playing tennis with evil, just reacting. That's a scary thought. He's in authority. He has a say. And when you bless his name and when you praise him, you move with the grain of the universe, not against it. Special grace for that, a special healing balm. So Jesus is in charge of all things. That means that we can be fearless in all things. We can have courage in all things. Um, you, no matter what you think about, whatever the future looks like for you, you know Jesus is going to have to have a say in it and that he loves you and your life was expensive to him and he's not going to let it be destroyed. He's not. So you can, have, you can be fearless. Number, number two uh, thing we see in the text here is it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, uh, which is really interesting. So what he's saying there, that therefore, you have to go back a verse, which is the one we just read, that he's in authority. So his authority is active in this disciple-making ministry. So you're going to find Jesus's presence in gospel ministry, the advancement of the gospel. If you're, if you're tithing to that, if you're doing the going for that, if you're doing the sending for that, if you're serving in that, if you're praying for that, whatever it is, if you're involved in gospel ministry, you're going to find that you're going to be bumping into Jesus. This is based on his authority. So what's really um, important to know is that it's based on his authority. One, one of the things that happen when you have a spiritual conversation with somebody or if you're, if you're, if God's putting his finger on your heart, on a person's, on a name, someone you love that doesn't know the Lord, someone, a coworker of yours, someone that's sitting next to you on the plane, whatever it is, and you know 
that there's some nudge of the Holy Spirit to bring up something spiritual. They maybe surface something. They mention something they're going through that's hard. And that's a window for you to open the door to maybe asking them if they have a, a church that could help them with that or a spiritual, a spiritual topic. And you're a little nervous. I want to just encourage you. It's not all a bad thing, okay, for a couple of reasons. The first one is this. I want to, not nervousness, but if you're a little tender about it, if you're tender about that, it's because spirituality is personal. There might be some trauma there. There might be some unanswered prayers. There might be some, some hurt there. And we ought to have some humility and respect for the dignity of people and be a little respectful. So I, this idea that you should just be brazen and just go kicking down doors and asking people about their spiritual life without any concern at all or any tenderness, that's a, it lacks some humility and a lack of sensitivity is what that is. But the second thing is true is this is something that you should be reverent about. One of the things that I, I know when I do this job, when I'm getting up to speak, is I, there's a couple things I say in my head and my heart with God before I get up on the platform here. One of them is I recognize if it's a good sermon, it's all God. Like there's, if he does anything good with this, it's God. Why? He's the only one that's got the authority. Like I don't have the authority. He's the authority. So therefore go and make disciples, well, in light of his authority, right? That's what this verse is saying. But so what that means is this, is that I have to understand what that pit in my stomach really is. There's a difference between being nervous and reverent. Two, they feel the same. Again, they, they feel similar. They're heavy, they're weighty, tenderness. Right before you have that conversation with your coworker or your family member who doesn't know the Lord, there's a weightiness to it. But nervousness is about how am I gonna do? Am I gonna perform well? Are they gonna like me? Are they gonna think I'm weird? It's about me, me, I, 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 how am I gonna do? Reverence, it's about what God's about to do. It's about what he's about to accomplish and significant. He's about to do something that could alter someone's eternity. He's about to plant a seed in someone's heart that could alter the trajectory of their entire life. There's a reverence. Both feel the same, both weighty, a little tender, sensitive to the personal nature of what you're about to talk about, but his reverence because it's about what he's about to do because he's the one in authority. So he's got the authority. One of the things this verse uh, could be translated as, uh, well, one way to translate this verse is like this, therefore, instead of just therefore go, therefore, as you are going, as you are going and doing things, as you're going about your regular life, as you're going through Costco, as you're going through Woodman's, as you're cutting me off in the parking lot, <laughs> make a disciple. <laughs> make disciples as you're raising your kids, as you're starting your business, as you're doing your taxes, make disciples. All the time, be making disciples. Everywhere is a discipleship-making opportunity. But then he says this. This is really important. He's, he talks about baptism. He, he says, therefore, go into all, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. This, this is imp important to know. Baptism is a part of discipleship. And, and I want to I remind people, everywhere in Scripture where this shows up, it's after someone makes a decision to follow Jesus. It's an image, it's a picture, it's a reflection of what just took place in their heart or what happened inside their heart. It's, it's the picture of a person going under the water and coming up spiritually, right? The picture is spiritually uh, clean, purified, right before God, that when God looks at you, he sees you purified, clean. Your debt of, for, your debt of sin is paid because of what Jesus did on that cross. You're covered. Maybe the antiquated or theological term for this is a, you're atoned for. You're, there's a covering over you. 
And that's what this symbol of baptism represents. And, and I need to remind you of this, it's a commandment. So that doesn't mean it's a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. So the good news for you this morning is if you haven't been baptized, but you've surrendered, God's opened your eyes to the gospel and you've surrendered your life to what Jesus did on that cross and it's a covering for you and you're right with God, you don't have to pray about it anymore. Does God want me to be baptized? He's answered it. The answer is yes. It's a commandment. Now, um, the good news about commandments is there's always blessing across the border from obeying a command. It's never better to disobey. It's never like, well, you probably should disobey God on this one. These are good. Every commandment across the border is blessing. They're never hollow. They're never empty. Never a waste of your time. It's a commandment. You ought to do it. And just like... Just like sin, there's two different kinds. There's a, there's a sin of commissions, things you do that are wrong. There's also a sin of omission. You know, a sin of omission is when you don't do something that you are commanded to do. So, so this is one of the things about being a disciple is there's a commandment to be baptized. But then Jesus says this. He says, therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them. That's one of the commandments. And he says, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. We've been through this. And uh, I, I teach them a lot of things. And one of the things we've taught them is that when they come in the house, especially on a, you know, a balmy spring day where it's wet and muddy, and they come into the house, they are to take their shoes off and put them in the bin by the door. And if you were to ask my kids, three and five-year-old, they would, they would look at you and they would say, and you say, where are you supposed to put your shoes when you come in? They will tell you, by the bin, right by the door. Because I have taught them to know where to put their shoes. Teaching to obey? That is a whole different world. That is an entirely different set of tactics. There is a whole different procedure for teaching children to obey. I mean, they don't even, it's really hard. I would ask them, I said, kids, where are you supposed to put your shoes? In the bin. I said, okay, why are they in the middle of the kitchen in optimum trippage location for mom and dad to trip on these shoes? And they're like, they're like, we didn't even know. They're like, we don't know. We have no idea. They don't even, you have to teach. Teaching to obey is a totally different thing. Look, I mean, teaching to know is important. You have to know what the commandments are. You need to go and go to church and hear about the commandments, about being baptized or whatever the other commandments are. You have to, you have to go to a Bible study. You have to read the book. You have to talk to other Christians, help them explain some of these things, read commentaries, whatever. You need to know. But discipleship, <laughs> discipleship is obedience. That's way harder. You know what that requires? Like you and I, we have to have a relationship. Like I get the easy part. I get to just tell you, here's what it says. And then I get to close the book and go home. You know what I don't have to do? Follow you home. I don't have to go into your living room and watch your private life and see if you obeyed anything we talked about today. I don't have to build trust with you so that it's safe for you to tell me when you disobey so I can help ask what would make it easier? How can I pray for you? I don't have to do any of that. I can just grab a microphone, we can turn the lights on. I can tell you some stuff and then leave. 
Discipleship is a totally different thing. Listen, if you want to be in the activity of Jesus, I mean, that's what's at stake here. Do you want to be where Jesus is today? Discipleship, what is that? Teaching people to obey. I realize what I'm asking you to do today, for many of you, what Jesus is asking you to do, is something you've never experienced yourself personally. I mean, you haven't. Who's doing this for you? Who is, who is, who are you giving permission into your private life so that they can see or know or understand how you're doing in terms of obedience? When you're not obeying, do you give anybody permission to do that or are they just on eggshells? No one can tell you you're wrong. Is there anyone that you're giving permission to do this with that you trust, that you know loves you, that can help you open this book up, learn some more commands and then ready for this? Obey him. Who's doing that for you? This is a big thing, discipleship. And everywhere we see Jesus doing it, he would send people out in groups or at least two by two, minimum two by two. Had to go in groups. It's a team sport. Discipleship is a team sport. We say this a lot here. If you invite someone, let us all play a role in it. Like I'll get up, I'll tell some jokes. <laughs> I'll open this book up. We'll, we'll read it together. We'll all explain some things. You take them out for lunch, talk to them, introduce them to other people that like might have a story or a connection to them that you don't. They, they might be going through something really hard that someone else in your small group or in a Bible study or in your church is going through that can, that can really encourage them and minister to them. This is a team sport. We need each other. Let's partner together. That's why inviting people to church is, is not just like this cop-out. It's not like second-class evangelism, like real evangelists go out into the world and share the gospel by themselves like and leave that. And then somehow if you have to invite people to church, like, well, you couldn't hack it yourself. Everywhere in scripture, Jesus is sending people out in groups, in two by two, groups of people. It's a team sport. We need each other. We gotta use the body, all the different ligaments to help people through the ups and downs of life and help them put their hand on the door to hope and grace and forgiveness. So if you wanna be near Jesus, you gotta get right in the middle of the effort to make disciples. You know what you'll find there? you'll find that there's intimacy there with God. Why? Because that's where he is. There's intimacy with him. So the next, the next thing we see here is that it, it involves not just a team of people, but it involves a specific team of people, the church. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm gonna get my, um, there, there's not really a great uh, plural version for the word you, I mean, a, there might, there might be versions, but one of them that maybe we're all familiar with is the word y'all. This is what that word is in that moment. Jesus, if he was from the South, that's how it would have rolled off his tongue, I guess. And surely until the end of the age, I am with y'all because that's what he's saying. I'm with you all. It's a team. Look, if you want to be in the middle of the activity of God, you can't be actively removing yourself from the local church from the body of believers, from people who love Jesus and are walking with him and trying to follow him. Even if you're a doubter, the best thing you can do for your skepticism is to keep showing up. I mean, just keep coming, just keep showing up. That's the best thing you can do for your doubt, for your skepticism. But walk with people together. If, if your only diet of being with God is privately in books and podcasts, I'm not saying stop doing those things. I'm just saying, you're gonna to start to wonder, where's all that activity that Jesus is talking about? He says, I'm with you. There's a special uh, and unique encounter with God you can have when you're with other believers together. 
Well, I'm going to invite the, the worship team to lead us in one last song as we reflect on everything that's been taught today. But I want to land with the last part about this verse that is just so profound and so, again, for people who are in a difficult situation, this is just so, it's such an encouragement. Jesus says this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Um, what's fascinating about this is that no one has lifted a finger to make one disciple yet. No one has obeyed a single command since Jesus started talking. They're just listening. They just showed up. They're worshiping him. There's the people doubting. They're just there. They're just showing up. They haven't done anything that Jesus has greatly commissioned them to do yet. They're just there. And Jesus says, in the end, I'll be with you. No matter what. Like, I'll be, I'll be there at the end of this. They haven't obeyed once. They haven't made a disciple yet. Their be, being with Jesus at the end is not up to these disciples and their performance on what Jesus has just asked them to do. It's not up to their performance. Jesus is gonna be there. I'll be with you. It's not, it's not I'm, I'm commissioning you to make disciples of all nations, baptize them. Don't forget about all those commands. And if you do a good job, maybe I'll be with you in the end. Look, this is a relationship. Jesus is like, I'm in, you, you're mine, you belong to me. When you give your life to the Lord, that happens one time, you're set for life. He's gonna cover you, he's gonna be with you. And then he invites you into this incredible mission, this incredible purpose-filling, purpose, purposeful mission in life. But no matter how you perform on it this week, no matter how many of the commands you'd learn and obey, he'll be there. Your ending and who Jesus, Jesus is there is not up to you. He's already decided. He's got the authority. It's his call. He's called you and he's gonna be there in the end, no matter what. And this is what you need to hear too. If you're going through something hard, if you're going through something painful, Jesus will be at the end of this season. He'll be at the end of the journey. He'll be there no matter what it looks like right now. Jesus is saying, in the end, I'll be there. In the end of your life, I'll be there, no matter what it looks like. Stand on that today. Walk on that promise. Those are his words, not mine. You can stand on those words, no matter what happens. You'll find Jesus today in his church, in gospel mission and activity, in his authority, and in the end. Let's stand as you're able for closing prayer. And then I will, so we'll spend some time, I'll worship with you. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that we don't have to go, go out today, go home today wondering if we're gonna sin our way out. If we are gonna sin our way out of arm's reach of you. If maybe you won't be there at the end because of how we perform today. And Lord, I just pray the knowledge of your sovereignty, the knowledge of where you are and your activity, we would be compelled to get in the game, invite somebody to church, maybe start tithing for the first time, maybe start praying for the mission of what God's, what you're doing in Discoveryland, whatever it is, Lord, that we would just get involved because we wanna find you, Jesus. We don't wanna earn you. We don't wanna try and work to try and make sure we're gonna have you at the end of our life. No, we just wanna be with you. That's just where you are. 
So Lord, I just pray you would help all of us in our own unique way, take a step, whatever that looks like. Maybe for the doubters in the room, it's just coming back next week. Just being there in a church that knows they're welcome when they belong here, even before they believe. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We worship you. No matter what season it is, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.